Kirsten Bryant, from, and I serve on our youth ministry team here at Covenant. Matthew 4, 18-22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You may be seated. All right. I'll dismiss the uh, school-age kids. They can head on to the back. And while they're doing that, let me invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to open it to the passage that we just looked at, that uh, Kirsten just read in um, Matthew chapter 4. If you're new here, I haven't been up here in a couple weeks. If you've come since then, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Luke, and uh, it'd be great to meet you afterwards. we have a little gift for those who are visitors, a little coffee mug, and we'll, me and some of the other leaders will be standing back there after the service if you want to say hello. Um, during the fall every year, we kind of, uh, kind of reiterate the direction that we've been headed all year, and this is going to be no different than that. In January, we started um, the year with this focus, plant what you want to grow. So if you're just coming uh, back or you just moved here, it's new, you're linking arms with our family, uh, I want to recap this phrase for us, this mantra of plant what you want to grow. This is the biblical principle of sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. And you and I, we understand this. Most of us aren't farmers, but you don't expect to go get apples from a tree in your backyard that you did not plant and cultivate. This is true relationally. The relationships in your life and my life, they take time, they take cultivation, they take more time, they take watering and weeding, you understand that. Being healthy takes consistent uh, time, it takes vitamins and supplements and an exercise regimen, it takes all those things. But sometimes we really don't want to believe that. You know, you gym goers, every January, you kind of roll your eyes because then all the treadmills are going to be taken and they're going to be taken for a solid five days. And after five days, if you don't have abs, they're like, well, this is too much work, you know. So <laughs> then you get your treadmill back. You understand, right? They want it to work. They want to work out once and, you know, be rewarded uh, with the abs. It doesn't work that way. <clears throat> takes more than just once which is the point to plant what you want to grow. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe we should say plant and cultivate what you want to grow because it's not just planting, you have to tend to it. Kyle Cathcart gave uh, Claire a tomato plants and a big bucket to plant it in, some kind of special bucket. And Claire loved the idea of having a tomato plant but does not love the idea of doing anything to take care of it. And so we've got a lot of plants and no tomatoes, and somehow it's still hanging on there, right? But when that thing does produce tomatoes, they're going to be the most delicious tomatoes that I've ever had, I think, right? Because this is, this is how this works. Now, Jesus, let me talk about it in this frame. Jesus lived his life in three directions, up with the Father, in with the body of believers, and out towards the lost world. In other words... 
Jesus lived his life with this emphasis. And you've heard this before, and we've talked about this before. Maybe this can be a refresh for you or realignment. There was an expert in the Old Testament that came to Jesus one time and said, Jesus, of all the things that are written in the Old Testament, what is, what is the greatest thing? I, I can't do all those things, but maybe you can simplify it for me. What's the one thing that I can actually walk away from here and go start doing? And Jesus, in his wisdom, takes the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and this obscure verse in Leviticus, and he smashes them together, and he responds. Which commandment is the most important of all, he asked. Jesus answered, the most important, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So love the Lord your God, that's the upward direction. This is what we call discipleship. This is this, is this connection to the Father. This is my heart for us today. I want to talk about this idea of connection. The most important things that we want to be connected to, Jesus modeled for us in these directions. This is what I want us collectively as a church and you as an individual to chase after, to fight for, to cultivate is this connection. Connection up with God. Learning how to grow as a disciple, to to mature in the way of Jesus. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. This is that outward direction. If you look at the context of that passage, it's the passage about the Good Samaritan. Love your neighbor, your stranger, those that you don't really even know. Love them as you love yourself. This is this outward dimension. This is this connection with the purposes of God. Jesus said of himself that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one that leaves the 99 for the one. This is our life as a missionary. This is this outward direction that Jesus not only talked about, but he modeled for us. This is not even just for super Christians. Sometimes we hear the word missionary or this outward focus, and we're like, man, I can't even get my life together. There's no way I could do anything like that. But one of the greatest missionaries in the New Testament was the woman that Jesus met at the well who had been saved for 17 minutes. And her and all of her brokenness found restoration in Jesus, and she couldn't help but running back and telling the entire village. The scripture literally says the entire village came out to meet Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's an outward direction. Then the inward. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You love one another. By this, the entire world will know that you're my disciples. The characteristic of love is what will be so countercultural that they'll notice it in you and know that you are different than the world. Connection with the people of God. Connection with God himself. Connection with the purposes of God. And you know what I found? The things that are most important, the things that we need to fight for connection to is the thing the enemy comes after first. He doesn't care about all your religious activity. He wants to sever the power source, your connection to the Father. He wants to continue to mar your identity of knowing who and whose you are. He comes after that connection. He comes after the connection of the, the, with the body of Christ. He comes with shame and guilt, the enemy does, and he wants to sever you from the other believers that are going to help support you when life gets difficult. He wants to separate you. He wants to separate you from your purpose in life, the very purpose that God gave you, that, that you would 
Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The Apostle Paul uses that word. There's a specific call in your life, a purpose that God has for you. And the enemy comes after those connection points. So that's where we're headed. And the goal is that this wouldn't be just a, a series that we end and we have all this knowledge. It, it would be that we would really evaluate and we would have a paradigm shift and we would knock, walk in this new way of life that would, that would change everything about us. These would be new practices that we had to rearrange our life around in this coherent way that would help us stay connected and close to God, receiving power from him and connected and close to other believers and connected to the very purposes of God. At Covenant, we've taken these three identities of up, in, and out, and we've tagged them with these, um, these pictures of discipleship and a spiritual family and a missionary. Up with the Father. That's what we're going to talk about today, discipleship. What does it look like to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? And as you commune with the Father, you look more like him. That's connection in, again, with these other believers that God has made us a spiritual family. But the problem is, is we don't want to be connected to a spiritual family. We want to do it on our own, don't we? I was having lunch this week with Dave uh, Deloach at Nukes, and we were sitting there, and there was a toddler, I guess about two, he had his own drink. He was a big boy and had his own drink, and he couldn't get the straw in. You know, he was doing this, this thing. And the mom took the drink from him because she saw how disastrous this was about to be. We're about to have blue drink on everyone. And she took it, and you would have thought that she punched that kid in the face. He let out the most blood-curdling scream. And he said, no, mama, me do it. And we laugh at toddlers to do that. But listen, this is, this is our own heart. We want to do it. We don't want to be dependent on God for it. We certainly want to, don't want to ask someone else to help us do it. We want to do it. We want to be independent. But the problem is, is God's not made us that way. He's made us interdependent. That we are dependent upon him, John 15, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing, not a little bit, not a skosh, you, you can literally do nothing. And he's made us and even our spiritual gifts so interdependent upon someone. The apostle Paul uses the illustration of the body. He says some people are hands and some's the foot and some's the shoulder blade. You, you get the picture, right? We we all have to operate together as each part does its part properly, the Apostle Paul would say. That's when we actually grow up. That's when we mature. You understand? If, if you walked in here today and out in the little lobby, you saw a severed foot, you would think, who do I call? Do I, do I call the fireman or the coroner or the youth pastor? It's just like a youth, a youth game gone wrong, that someone actually lost a foot, Right? A foot by itself is useless. However, my life without a foot would be incredibly difficult. And this is why God calls the expression of the church, the gathered church, even in this room, this unique body where we all have to have each other whether we like it or not. This is how God's made things work, this connection with other believers. And finally, this outward direction, this idea of a life lived participating with God on this rescue mission 
that there's some parts of the world that he's called you and planted you and on purpose he's grown you so that there's certain areas that only you are going to bring light to. There's some neighbors who only hear the gospel because you showed them and told them. There are some coworkers who have no idea what it's like to, to really know and live out the gospel, so God sent you there. This is this incredible purpose that God's placed in our life. We're going to talk about that the next several weeks. I'm going to look again today at Matthew 4 that Kirsten just read about this first direction of up with God, this is idea of growing as a disciple. You get the picture that Jesus had just gone through this great temptation, been baptized by John. He had met Peter a couple times already in the baptism itself and another time before that. And it says in verse 18, while Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who would later be called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. You see, these are also fishermen. He called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Will you pray with me real quickly as we launch into this sermon? Would you pray that God would speak to you? Not just in a generic way, but a very specific way. We have a very personal God who knows your names and the number of hair on your head or the lack thereof. He knows you. Would you ask him to speak to you? God, I'm so thankful for today. Your mercy's new. We've gathered today to hear from you. Not just to sing songs or hear people talk. Our gathering would be in vain if it wasn't for you. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the things in our life that, that you're trying to encourage in us? The weeds in the garden of our lives that need to be plucked out and dealt with, the parts that need to be cultivated and grown. Do in us what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an incredible picture of Jesus calling these first disciples. Most of the gospels carry this account or something similar to it. He's walking... <clears throat> on the Sea of Galilee, and he sees them, and he calls them. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a few ingredients of what following Jesus looks like. This is not exhaustive. We could probably have 20 of them. I'm going to focus really on three today. But first is that following Jesus, you need a new vision. Maybe I would even say a greater vision. Naturally, we are selfish people, right? Again, anyone who has a toddler remembers the toddler years. They're naturally selfish people. They don't, they don't want to share. They, 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 they learn the word mine very quickly. And naturally, we're selfish people, and we haven't changed that much. We don't throw ourselves on the floor kicking and streaming at nukes or at Thanksgiving, but that would make both of those pretty more interesting, I would say. 
But these men got a greater vision for their life when Jesus entered the scene. Fishing was everything that they knew. The horizon of their lives were limited by the deck of the boat itself. They had learned from an early age how to fish. They were taught the family trade here, specifically by the father. Two sets of brothers, each individually working in a fishing community. These probably were really good fishermen. They knew how to, you know, read where the fish were probably, and they all had their secret spots that you, that you tried to go and not let anyone else see. They, they knew how to mend the nets. They knew how to read the weather, I bet. They, this is what they knew. This was their skill. And this was the horizon of their life. As they thought about retirement, if they even had that thing in that day, they thought about just finishing well on the deck of a boat, being good at fishing. But on this day, when Jesus entered the picture, their greatest dreams involved being good at fishing, but their greatest dreams were changed. Jesus called them into a greater story, a story that he was telling And they responded to the call of Jesus on their life and everything, literally everything changed. Jesus told them, I'm going to take your skill of fishing for fish. I'm going to change that. You know, in the hands of Jesus, your life is exponentially more compelling, exponentially more powerful, exponentially more meaningful in his hands. This is what he said. I'm going to take take you in into my hands and on my team and you're going to walk with me and I'm going to now make you fishers of men and that is certainly what they became. If you look at church history, you see that these uneducated men that had this very thick accent, remember everyone knew that they were from Galilee. Even at the end when Jesus is on trial and Peter's denying him, he's like, wait, aren't you the Galilean? I know I've heard that hick accent before. I know that's who you are. But God used them to shape the very course of history, but that required a greater vision. John would become the bishop or pastor of this great church in Ephesus. Peter would himself go to Rome, Andrew to the border of Russia, all because they responded to the call of Jesus. And here is what I'm trying to say. I want you to get a bigger vision for what God has for your life this morning. It's not just to be a school teacher, it's to impact every person that would come in your classroom with the love and joy of Jesus through you. That's why you're there. Yes, be great at teaching math. You should be. But you're there for a bigger, a grander, a more eternal purpose. Every one of us in the roles and the jobs that we have, God wants to use us to accomplish a greater vision, not just in your neighborhood that you would get the the award for the best lawn. I don't know if your neighborhood is, I live in a neighborhood that does that and I can never get that award. Especially with no rain, everything's dying. It's more than just having a pretty lawn, right? God's planted you there to get a greater vision. Requires this new and greater vision. Following Jesus means actually following Jesus. Look back at the passage. This is what he asked them. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men in verse 19. And immediately they left, and they did what? They followed him. And then going on from there, the two other brothers, the sons of thunder, James and John, 
in a boat with their father, mending their nets, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. Listen, following Jesus is not just about coming to church. I mean, that's, that's, that's a part of it. Maybe, you know, and I, I believe in it. Like, this is why we do all this work, because we want you to come and we want you to gather, but this is just a tip of what's going on here. Following Jesus means actually following him. Notice the command or this invitation from Jesus is not to join the email list or a fan club. He didn't invite them to attend Sabbath with him or synagogue the next week. No, it was actually to follow him. This was this official invitation to be his disciple. The Greek word for, for disciples, mathetes. It means a learner or a pupil or a disciple. It means a follower. And they would spend years and years following this teacher or this rabbi, so much so that they would learn his take on the, on the law and what to do in this situation and that and how to teach with authority. They would learn all these things as they followed. The closest thing maybe in our culture would be that of a, a, a journeyman or an apprentice that learned some kind of trade by walking closely with someone as a welder or plumber or builder. These disciples would live with Jesus for three years, learning and practicing the very things that he was teaching, all the while becoming like him. Eugene Peterson says this, For the biblical way is not so much to present us with a moral code and tell us, live up to this, nor is it to set our a system of doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. The biblical way is to tell a story and invite us in. Live into this. This is what it looks like to be a human in this God-made, God-ruled world. And this is what is involved in becoming and maturing as being a human. This is what life to the fullest really looks like. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 10, the abundant life. We do violence to the biblical revelation when we use it for what we can get out of it or what we think will provide color or spice to our otherwise bland lives. Most of us, this, we're really honest, this is what we want. We want Jesus to be like Tony Chasseries. We want to eat what we want to eat. We want to do what we want to do. We just want to sprinkle a little Jesus on top of it. Because, it, you know, heaven in the future sounds exciting. Peace and joy, those sound exciting when we need it. But that is not the way Christianity works. He would go on to say, this kind of living of Jesus in the margin results in a boutique spirituality. God is decoration. God is enhancement. You ever gone to one of these boutiques? I try to keep my family out of them because they're just really expensive things on the side. They don't sell rice and beans at a boutique. They don't, they don't sell, you don't pay your energy bill at a boutique. You can't even buy socks and underwear at a boutique. Well, I mean, maybe really fancy ones, I guess. You see, the boutique is like the little extra flavor, right? And this is what most of us, if we're really honest, this is what scares me to death as a pastor, that you could come in here week after week and do the thing and sing the song and raise the hands and shake the hands and we could do all the thing and we could high five and we could read, hear the story and we could leave out of here and nothing in our life changes. And that is not the call of Jesus. His invitation is so much greater. It's to literally be the Lord of your life. This is what he's invited you to do, to follow him, 
to learn what life is really meant to be lived like. This isn't something we just squeeze into our life. This isn't, it's like another, another hobby. This isn't another diet we go on to. Like, I'm going to try some CrossFit classes. That's not, that's not what this is. Maybe I should say pure bar. The CrossFit, man, those CrossFitters are in. This is all of life centered around Jesus. In order to be a disciple, in order to keep this connection with the Father, we need to be in constant connection and conversation with Jesus all the time. Not just prayers morning, noon, and night, but praying to him all day just as you would breathe. Just talking to him like he's with you at work and with you in the car and with you when you're trying to figure out what to do with your kids and, and, and with you while you're cooking dinner, with you while you're mow, mowing the grass, with you in the mundane and the extraordinary that Jesus is with you all the time. And he's at the very center that we don't do a thing or say a thing or even think a thing. That's what Paul says. Don't even think a thing unless Jesus has given it the stamp of approval. Take Every thought captive, he would say, and march it to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been dwelling on this for a couple hours now. Is is this okay? This is Jesus at the center of all of life. This is what discipleship and Christianity in the West has, we have failed at this point. We have literally reduced Christianity to believing a few things, to being baptized, to tipping God sometimes, to showing up once or twice a month on the weekend. Listen, I'm I'm not judging. I'm not coming at you. I'm just saying God has such a greater plan for your life than that. Following Jesus is at the heart of being a disciple. You can't be a disciple, even a Christian without a changed heart. And that changed heart wants, longs for, just wants connection with the Father. This is right right before Jesus died. This is what he told his disciples. Hey, you got to stay connected. You got to abide. You got to remain. It's the most important thing. You got to stay connected to the true vine. The rest of the world's all going to be kind of just enticing you. Hey, this is the real way. This is the true way. This is the right way. And if you're not careful, you're going to be distracted and you're just going to forget connection with the Father. See, following Jesus is a choice. This was literally an invitation from Jesus. He says, if you want to follow me, the actual Greek would be translated, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, I'll make you fishers of men. Again, spiritual growth is not automatic. You're not going to grow spiritually because you come here once a week. And You know, I've heard people complain about churches. You ever heard this? Well, pastor, that church, I just wasn't fed. They didn't feed me at that church. And I understand what they're saying. You should be at a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, disciple-making church. You should be, absolutely. But most people who say that don't want to grow on their own. They're like adults with diapers. They're still babies with the big old fat cheeks that you want to just, you know, squeeze them cheeks. Squeeze a little leg roll. Squeeze, you know. And listen, as you're new here, you're just, listen, I'll be happy to feed you for a season. But eventually you got to learn how to eat on your own. Does that make sense? This is a choice. You all got the same amount of time as I got as anyone else has. We all have the same amount of time. And what you do to plant and cultivate that connection with the Father and following Jesus, it shows up in your life. I hope we have the best preaching here. 
I hope we have the best worship. I hope we have the best first impressions team, the best youth group, the best kids ministry. I want to do everything we do with excellence as unto Jesus. Absolutely, I do. But if you only eat once a week, you're not going to live that long. It's just true. You've got to learn to walk with God, to hear from him through his word, and to take steps of obedience to what he says. Spiritual growth is a choice. Spiritual growth, following Jesus, is relational. He says here, follow me or walk with me. There's no such thing as long-distance discipleship. You got to get close to Jesus. And let me tell you this, when you get close to Jesus, he's going to say and lead you into some things that you don't understand. Sometimes you're going to feel a bit betrayed by him because he's trying to use this spiritual sandpaper to mold you into the image of himself. It's relational. John 12, 26. Whoever serves me, Jesus says, must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. It's a little bit Yoda talk, right? The New Living Translation says it this way. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants, I love this, must be where I am. No such thing as long-distance discipleship. Just like long-distance marriage is really difficult. Long-distance discipleship is virtually impossible. You've got to actually be with Jesus, a relationship with him. Discipleship, growing in the image of Jesus, is not just knowledge about, it's relationship with, it's connection to your creator. See, God just didn't set the world spinning and then move out of the way and he only gets involved again when we mess things up, which I guess would be all the time. No, he wants to walk with you. The whole message we preach at Christmas is God with us. I guess he could have secured salvation some other way, I don't know. He could have died without an audience. He could have, but he came to be with us. Friend, if you've never heard this, Jesus wants to walk with you. In Revelation, it's this picture of him outside the door knocking. He's not going to bust the house down. He's not going to bust the door down. He's just knocking. If you would open the door, he says, I would, I would come in and I would, I, would, I would fellowship with you. And when I come in, I bring restoration and I bring renewal. And I bring peace and joy and all the things that the abundant life is really about. But you got to let me in first. Just know, though, when I come in, I'm... I don't play second place. I'm inviting, I'm asking you to invite me in to be Lord of your life, to be the master. Jesus doesn't ride shotgun. That's what I love about that country song, Jesus Take the Wheel. Like he's just over there riding shotgun. No, that's not how, that's not how things work. To invite him, you know, oh, I can't drive now, Jesus Take the Wheel. Oh, I done messed up this relationship. Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, I done screwed these kids up. Jesus, take the wheel. The, the point is to give him the wheel at the beginning and say, Jesus, I just want to follow you. I, I want you to lead. Where are we going? What are we doing? I want to be your very hands and feet. I want to par- participate with you. I want to be near you, even as this passage says in John 12. I want, I want to be where you are. 
And if you're out there on the redemptive edge, you're loving the lost and the last and the least, I want to be with you where you're at. You just, just tell me where we're going. Most of us have not, are not walking in the intimacy of Jesus, even if we're believers in this room, because he took a left a while back and we don't want to go left. And so then we just say, okay, Jesus, thanks for giving me this far. I'm going to go ahead and take it home. I'm going to do it the rest of the way. And, I, and, and you took over. Following Jesus is relational. Jason's teaching a class in our equipping classes for our adults. And eventually our, our students, I think, are going to get on board with this. And he's working through seven ways that we grow in the competencies of Jesus. Not just the character, but the competencies of Jesus. Not just we need to be kind and loving, but the fruit in Jesus' life of, of, of kind and loving and self-control, those things, the fruit of spirit that we see in Jesus' life, those are fruit from a tree that's been cultivated through these disciplines of learning how to walk with God, of prayer. I think I have them on the screen, of learning how, how to pray. Most of us don't know how to pray. The disciples didn't know how to pray. They came to Jesus, teach how to pray of repentance and confession, of serving in the community, of generosity and worship and how to share your story. Listen, I don't know what you're doing at 930 on Sundays, but I would encourage you to be here. You're going to be equipped with real ways that you can walk and live into this abundant life. It's relational. Following Jesus involves commitment. Notice even in the text there that they... They actually left their nets. James and John just didn't leave the nets in the boat. They left their dad. I want, I want some artists to do me a picture of Zebedee in the boat by himself holding these broken nets. Like, what in the world is this? To follow Jesus means you're probably going to have to leave something. It means you're going to have to give up something. Following Jesus means leaving some things behind. They left their nets. They left their father. They left that occupation. Not just here. Look, the Samaritan woman, the text points out, she left her pitcher. She came there to get water but got salvation. Matthew left his tax table, if you remember Jesus calling him. Blind Bartimaeus left his cloak. Where you gotta leave? The demoniac left the graveyard, left his chains. See, most of us are so comfortable with our dysfunction and the little idols that we like to worship. We like to bring them with us. Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but I'm a I'm not giving you anything out of my bank account. Jesus, I'd love to follow you. I'm not giving up my Sundays. Jesus, I'd love to follow you. I'm not giving up my reputation. I'm not, I'm not giving these things up. When Jesus ran into that rich young ruler, and he said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus listed, you have to do all these things. I've been doing all those. I've been doing them all. Jesus read his heart and he said, now go sell the thing you love the most. Go get rid of your money. Not because money's bad, because it was his God. Come and follow me. And at that, his face fell because it was not a price he was willing to pay. What, what do you need to leave to follow him? 
this is true in so many of our lives. We, we grow through commitments. Following Jesus involves a commitment. Marriage requires commitment. That requires you to grow. Going to school requires commitment. You've got to study and do the things, committing to a job, or you've got to wake up early and go do a job. Buying a house, having kids. See, commitment is the mark of maturity, actually. That's what men do. That's what women do. We make a commitment to our kids or our job or our work or our health. We make commitments. And through that commitment, we are forced to grow. I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. I had no idea. I had no idea I'd marry someone who sleeps sideways in the bed if you're just not careful. She was, Ashley will boot you right out of the bed. Just, I, I had no idea how selfish I was, how I always wanted the remote, how I always wanted to pick where we went to eat, how I wanted to, I wanted to say how we were going to spend the money. I wanted to say how we were going to spend the time. I never knew how selfish I was. Ashley was so gracious with me. And then I had kids. And you know what having kids is like. You go spend $1,000 at Rainforest Cafe on a crappy hamburger. It's just, it's terrible. It is literally terrible. Don't say that word. That's a bad word. I'm sorry. It came out. That's how, that's how I think about it, though. That's, that's, that's being authentic. You have a kid. There's no negotiating with them and the target eye when they want the Kit Kat that's right at their eye level. I mean, you've got to have a real strategy to check out a Target with toddlers. You've got to, okay, hey, babe, I'm, I'm going to go all the way around. I'm going to go put the kids in the car. I'm going to start it. You go check out. There's got to be a plan. No mom and dad with a toddler go check out together. No. You are just, you are inviting child abuse is what you're doing at that point, right? Oh, man, if the kids today knew how we grew up. My dad took off his belt one time when I was 10 and wore my tail out on the toy aisle at Walmart. And if you would do that now, I mean, CPS probably has an office there. They'll be just coming out the woodwork like, sir, what are you doing? This kid's crying over a toy, and I'm putting him in his right place. Immaturity is the fear of commitment. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise in what you commit to. Please be wise. Consider the cost before you commit, absolutely. But commitment to things, often hard things, is what mature people do. Following Jesus, this is my last point, requires incremental growth. There's this myth that spiritual growth or discipleship happens instantly, and it just doesn't. You know... You never graduate from taking steps of obedience and following Jesus. The most mature saint in this room today is going to be invited to take another step of obedience. They haven't made it. There's not the, the peak of obedience. We just always take one step of obedience after the next, after the next. A lot of times we don't understand them. We don't know what's on the other side of them. That that's what discipleship is. It requires this incremental growth. If you saw someone that was looking good today, looking, you know, buff, they got arms, you could tell they've been working out. You don't go up to that person and say, man, you look great. What you been doing? And they say, oh, I got a gym membership. Oh, really, a gym membership? Well, when do you go? Oh, I don't go. I just got the membership. No, that's not how muscles are made. The, the membership's not going to help you. 
just as seeing someone who's following Jesus and you say, okay, just t- t- tell me about the plan. How, how are you following Jesus? Oh, I go to church. Well, great. Tell me about your steps of obedience. Tell me about what God's doing in your heart. Tell me about repentance and confession. Tell me about that. This is this maturing process of incremental growth. You never stop taking the steps. Again, that means every one of us in here is going to take a step today. Or we're going to choose to walk further away from him. That's the invitation in front of us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Apostle Paul says, And we all with this unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, look at this, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to the next. We look at a little bit more like him. And a little bit more like him. And he is so kind. Please don't feel like he's some kind of angry coach in the sky. He is the good father. He's the good shepherd. He leads us to repentance through his kindness. He's so patient and long-suffering. I love here in this passage we're looking at Matthew 4, Jesus calls Peter. Now, we just finished going through a book that Peter wrote, 1 Peter. We've been walking through that for the last several months. But Peter was a hard dude to lead. And this gives me hope as a disciple. Because I feel like I blow it as much as Peter, if not a lot more. And Jesus is so patient with me and so patient with Peter. Peter's the guy who, from the very beginning, gets the nod. He's probably the oldest. He's going to be the leader. They knew he's going to be the leader. Yet he's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always saying the dumbest things. If they had social media back then, Peter would be the one who would be canceled, right? Because he would say the wrong thing about all. This was the worst party friend to bring, right? Because he's going to say something. Peter has some really high high and some really low lows. Some of his highest and lows are within about three minutes of each other in Matthew 16. Jesus is, here's what I'm getting, Jesus is always bringing him back around to following him. Look at this scene in Matthew 16. You'll turn there, but it's, it's on the screen. Jesus came to this district of Caesarea Philippi. This is the Las Vegas of the day. What stays in Caesarea Philippi, I mean, what happens stays in Caesarea Philippi, right? That's, that's the phrase. Doesn't ring as good as Vegas, but that's, that's what they would say. He takes him on a little field trip. And they know, they saw the, the signs, oh, we're going to Vegas. And Jesus gets in the Vegas of the day and there's this huge cave that everyone thought this is where the gods were born. Down in this cave and they called the front of that cave the gates of hell. And Jesus is there hanging with the disciples probably around a fire, maybe eating a little fish taco. He gets around them and he asks them this question, who who people say the son of man is? And they start, you know, there's always the, the kid in the group with the hand up quickly, you know. Oh, some say Elijah, another made Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, see, you could see his face just back off a little bit and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, on this declaration, that I am the son of God, that I am the Christ, that the gates of hell off into the distance will not prevail against it. I will build my church on this rock 
and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. All the people getting jealous. Why does he get the keys? And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he strictly told them to tell nobody about that. And Peter's feeling all good about everything. And he is like, I got the keys to the kingdom. I don't know what this gets me, but I'm excited. And something about the gates of hell, and I'm the guy in charge. You know, you ever give the right answer? You know, no one expects it. And you're like, man, I feel like the man for a second. And then his really high high just tumbles into a really low low. Because Jesus began to show his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem and he's got to, he's going to die. He's going to be killed on the third day. He's going to be raised. And old Peter takes him, his arm around Jesus, takes him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter's already seen the guy walk on water and he feels like he's got the right to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter your hand off me, dude. Get behind me, Satan, he says. You are a hindrance to me. He backed up and told the disciples again, this is if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. Just a reminder. We're not here to, to do our thing. We're here to follow him. Peter does a lot more dumb stuff. He's so slow to get it. Just read through the Gospels. I think you're going to be as encouraged as I am. One more scene, the worst of Peter's life. Peter has his biggest failure of all time. You ever done that thing that you're ashamed of? And you came and you apologized to God for it and you cried some tears. And I'll never do that again. But you did it again. Again, at the last week of Jesus' life, just right before, after the, the Last Supper in the garden, Peter has the biggest failure of his life. He confidently tells Jesus that he'll never deny him, ever, ever. I'll die with you, Jesus. And then the soldiers show up. And not only does he deny him once, but he denies him three times. And Jesus had told him, hey, before the alarm clock goes off, bro, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, that will never happen. And the third time that he denied Jesus, the gospel say he even cussed at the person who asked him. I mean, this guy was irate. He denied him again, and the rooster crowed, and he knew his biggest failure. Peter's nowhere to be found as Jesus crucified the following day. He's nowhere to be found during the burial. Peter's scared to death. He's finally sinned beyond the grace of God. So he thinks. Jesus raises from the dead like he predicted. Peter's one of the first to the scene. Remember, he got outran by John, finally shows up there, doesn't really know what to do. Jesus is gone. Jesus does this little Jedi trick and walks through the wall as they're gathered together and scares him a little bit. Jesus appears to Peter a couple times, but Peter, Peter's still walking in shame. So on the very same beach, 
of the very same sea where he called Peter the first time that we read in Matthew 4, he calls out to Peter again. See, Peter thought there's just no hope for me. I just can't follow Jesus. I keep screwing everything up. I just can't do it. And Jesus starts a little charcoal fire. All the smells and the sounds. Peter's flashing back to three years ago when Jesus caught him for the first time. He restores Peter. Three times he restores him, this act of for three denials. Peter, if you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, then tend to my lambs. He has this conversation. Then he gets back to this follow me phrase. Look at it. In verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you don't want to go. And he said this to show the kind of death that he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Things are going to get hard, Peter. I just want you to realize this one thing. Follow me. When Peter saw in verse 21, John, who was with them, he said to Jesus, what about this man? If I'm going to have to die such a cruel death, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains till I return, what is it to you? Peter, just follow me. And I want to invite you to do this very thing today, that you would make a choice today to follow Jesus. For some of you, this is, might be the first time you ever made that. You've been playing religious games a long time. You've been doing the dance, you know, when to stand and sit and shake a hand. and you know, you know all those things. But you've never really made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to invite you to make a choice to follow Jesus today. Some of you might say, well, you know, Pastor, I've done that. I've made a choice to follow Jesus when I was 5 or 10 or 55. I've already done that. Well, my encouragement to you would be today, all of us in the room, myself included, would be to make a decision, to make a choice today to grow, to plant and to cultivate connection with the Father. I think you can do this in one of three ways. One, maybe the decision that you need to work out this following Jesus is just surrender. What's holding you back? What are the areas in your life that you refuse to align your heart and life with Jesus? He's trying to grow you. He's trying to mature you. That's what discipleship is. Following Jesus, again, one step of obedience at a time. And again, we don't do it to earn his favor. Grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Again, Apostle Paul reminds us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And you know the step. Most of you know it. Because it was the, it was it was the voice of Jesus to you when, when, you, when he went left and you didn't want to go left anymore. That, that, that's, that's where he still is. And he's waiting on you just to bring it to him and surrender. Some of you know exactly what that is. You've been fighting with God on this for such a long time. For some of you, it's forgiveness of someone else. Someone hurts you. They hurt you so deeply and so painfully, and you don't want to forgive them. And so you've just said, if, if a God like that loves as he's supposed to, but allows this to happen and me be hurt so badly, I'm done with him and I'm done with them. And you just, you, just, you just sat down. You just forgot about it. And some of you, that's the step is to actually forgive them. It's not to invite them back into your life. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing them from the debt. 
I'm not holding this against you anymore. That's what forgiveness is. Reynolds talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What's he asking you to surrender? Some of you have a special calling on your life and you, didn't want to, you don't want to submit to him in that. Maybe it's an area of time, time you invest or, or talent, using your gift to glorify God. Or maybe it's even your treasure. You've heard of that, of giving part of what's his back to him. And you don't want to surrender that. That's your last like holdout. Jesus, I'll give you the whole thing, man, but not, not the master bedroom. You can have everything else. Some of you, it's adoption. You know, God's spoken to you. And you're asking how and who, and you don't know all the details. And of course, we don't know. You don't have to know everything to, to, to follow him. That's the, that's the point of surrender. Some of you, I really believe God's calling you to start a, a, a missional community. We have these little small groups, expressions, called missional communities all over. Some of you call and do that. Some of you, God's calling to start serving in kids. God's calling you to take a step to surrender. I really believe there's people. We, we were in equipping earlier today. That we need more table leaders back there. We need to have three or four more tables in our equipping hour, the adults. And we need table leaders. I feel like God might be putting that on your, your heart today. And you're like, well, I don't, how am I going to do that? I don't feel equipped to do that. Listen, God never called the equipped, ever. He called these fishermen who, who didn't know anything, that had the biggest hick accent, and they literally changed the world, not because of their expertise, because they, they surrendered and they followed him. Just look in scripture. Who has God ever called that was like ready to go do it? David, he was out there with the sheep. Moses couldn't even talk. He, I, I, can't even, I don't even know what to say. Gideon, Gideon literally thought the angel came to the wrong address. Hey, I think you mean Chad next door. He's, he's the guy. He just push, push-ups every morning. He's the guy. God never called anyone who thought they deserved the calling. No, this is why he does the work. Listen, right now, in my not, there's a military couple whose marriage is on the brink of, of, of divorce. And they are struggling, and they're barely keeping it together. And this morning, he's probably playing golf, and she's probably contemplating, man, what is this life all about? And they feel the call of God. And in God's sovereignty, they're going to be moved from Minot. They're going to be stationed right here at Barksdale. They're going to they're move into your neighborhood where you're having a little, you know, small group gathered over at your house, and you're going to befriend them, and you're going to invite them to your house. You're going to invite them to your house and they're going to get radically saved and their marriage is going to be restored and their great, great grandkids one day are going to be Christ followers because of a decision that you made in this room right now. And you say, well, look, how do you know that? Because that has happened a dozen times in this church because someone made a decision to follow and surrender their agenda. It literally changed generational impact of a family. God calling you to do that. This is not an insignificant moment. We say, well, look, I don't know, even know what I'm supposed to surrender. Well, maybe you can take a, an easier step today and just start serving. You know, as people showed up early this morning and set all these things up, they did it so you could be in here and you could hear the word and you could worship with one another. There's people that showed up in kids' ministry and cleaned all the floors and wiped down all the panels and set up all the computer, all the things that we do back there. Maybe you could just take a step of service. You know why we do that? Because Jesus told us that's where we're supposed to serve each other. In John 13, when he goes to his disciples, remember he's going to wash their feet. He said, all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. 
and he knew who he was and where he was going and he took up and he didn't preach him a sermon and didn't lead kumbaya in worship and he didn't even cast out any demons. You know what he did? He took out his outer coat, he tied a towel around his waist and he began to wash their feet. And he washed all their feet and at the end of it, he said, you've seen what I've done to you, now you go and do likewise and you serve each other. This is, what, this is where we get the idea of service. We're going to have ministry teams lined up down that hall in a little bit, and maybe you don't serve here, or maybe you've got more time and you can serve multiple times. I encourage you to go find someone. Go sign up for something. Go start, go start serving. And you don't even have to serve at our church. You could, you could, you could serve at our church, but you could, you could serve in our city. Jason talked last week about serving in secret not for pats on the back or accolades that come with it, but out of devotion to Jesus. Some of the, I think the greatest superstars in heaven, the ones that are going to have prominence in heaven are people you've never heard of. They never spoke at a conference. No, but they're faithfully bringing people into the kingdom of God in a way that no one else is ever going to know. They just diligently and deliberately serve. They were the hands and feet of Christ on earth. And because of that, they'll have prominence in the kingdom of God. You could serve in the community. You could serve at the hub. We've got groups that are tutoring high-risk teens, serving as VIPs at the hub, providing respite for adoption and fostering. There are a million ways. You could go volunteer at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. You could just start prayer walking your neighborhood. That would be serving them in ways that they never knew it. Serve, surrender, serve, and share. My last point is to share. Some of you, your next step is to share the good news of Jesus. And I say some of you, and I mean all of you. Because Scripture calls us all to be part of the Great Commission. Have you identified your one more? Those on your front row? I, I like the term one more. My Uncle Chip used to use that, just one more. And you know why I like that? Because you know what's a great number in the kingdom of God? It's just one more. Because the chief shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to the one. For the one more. Have you identified your one more? Those that are on your front row, that see your life up close, who God's intentionally planted you there to actually bring the gospel to in word and deed? God has commissioned us to go reach and impact our world, the people in our front row, our coworkers and neighbors and extended family and friends. You know, the people in your front row, the people who you have their cell phone number, the people who, who know you more than just by your name. Who's your one more? The Bible says all of heaven actually rejoices when one more comes. You know, this will look a whole bunch of different ways. One, you could just go share the gospel with them. Tomorrow might be the opportunity for you to literally share the gospel. I wouldn't start with sin. I'd start with creation. God created you to be in, in his image, to be in relationship with him. Sin came and ruined that. But Jesus came to fix and restore that on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. And all you have to do is admit you're a sinner in need of a savior. You're not a mistaker in need of a new, some new practices. You're a sinner in need of a savior. And you just believe that Jesus died on the cross and somehow when he died on the cross, that counted for you and you confess that Jesus is now Lord of your life. The Bible says you'll be part of God's family. You can share that with someone tomorrow. The first time they ever come to this church, they could already be saved. This would be amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing? A lot of people, that's their first time in. But maybe that's not the stuff. Maybe it's just to share an invitation. 
Maybe you're going to invite them to come with you to church or to an MC or to a, a sip and swap event, meet some of your friends or, or whatever it is. You just share a, a simple invitation. Maybe you just share a prayer. I try to do this with at least one stranger every week. I just share a prayer with a stranger. I'm at the coffee shop or I'm at uh, the waiter at church and I say, hey, I'm about to, I'm just about to, I, 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 uh, a waiter at a restaurant, I'm about to pray over my meals. There's one thing that I could pray for for you. I cannot tell you how many times that has led to me actually sharing the gospel with them. Maybe you just share a burden. You know, even atheists, when their life falls apart, they're not going to Karen and accounting for advice who's just going to, you know, tell them that essential oils is going to fix it. No, they're going to come to a person that they know that prays. They're going to know a person that's connected to God. They're going to come to you. Maybe you would just offer to pray for them. Maybe you just share another cup of coffee. Why? Because this is a person you love, not something to check off a list. Just get to know them, invest in them, cultivate that relationship. What's Jesus asking you to do? Surrender, serve, and share. I want to pray for us, and I want you to spend some time alone with him. I'm going to invite our band back up. We're going to sing in a minute. We're going to have communion in a minute. Communion is this great picture of our connection to the Father through Jesus Christ. Again, this is not something we have to earn. This is freely given to us because of the work of Jesus. And in a minute, we're going to take that. But before we get to communion, I... I want you just to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you leading me to do? What are you calling me towards? What's my next step of obedience today? What might I need to surrender? God, I love you and I thank you for your word. thank you that these disciples we read about today were just ordinary people uneducated even but were filled with your spirit and they changed the known world and I just pray for some of the people in the seats here who've been just hurt by life confused about purpose discouraged in this season walked in all heavy full of shame would you release them from that today as they come to you I pray they would get this picture this greater picture of that you loved them so much that Jesus you left heaven and came to the earth as a baby grew up without sin and willingly chose the cross to pay for their sin and my sin so that we could be reunited with you. We could have connection again. For those in this room been following you for a decade or 20, 30, 40, 50 years, Lord, would you renew their spirits this morning? Would you fill them with your love once again? Would you help them focus on the step of obedience in front of them? pray that this next season is their best season. Lord, for us collectively at Covenant Church, 
Lord, we want to be a church that follows you. We're not trying to grow crowds or put on services. Lord, we want, we want to please you. Help us to do that in every way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our communion servers are here. we got a prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. If you've got something heavy in your heart, just go pray with them. Maybe it's about a friend, a neighbor. Maybe you're going to share the gospel this week. You do what God puts on your heart. Communion's here. This is an open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate, but you do have to be part of God's family. Scripture's pretty clear about that. So as you just take a moment to confess your sin to him silently where you're at, then when you're ready, come take communion and remember the greater story God's calling you into. Do what he leads you to do.